Welcome to Touch Podcast, episode 12. This is Nate. This is Ryan. By the way, this podcast is rated PG-13 and sometimes R. If you got kids in the car, go ahead and switch it to that CD you've listened to 999 times. Because this is a podcast for adults and teens. Yeah, just talk to your parents. Or don't. Whatever. If you're listening for the first time, you may want to consider starting at the beginning. Because this podcast is a serial. Ryan and I are kind of learning as we go here. Assembling experts and and um, guests as the, as the subject um, expands for us. And today we're focusing on... How people have changed their opinions of sexuality, especially if they've been born and raised in church culture, like me and Ryan. In this episode, Ryan speaks with writer, podcaster, and co-creator of She Is Called, Carla Ewert, um, in particular about growing up a preacher's kid and what it, what that meant for purity, patriarchy, complementarianism, and how she feels about things now. Um, Carla also discusses her recent article in Relevant Magazine, where she offers a challenge to best-selling purity author Joshua Harris, in particular his TEDx talk. And in the next episode, we'll hear from best-selling author Joshua Harris and filmmaker Jessica Vanderwingard about Joshua's change of heart on a few things. My computer just made a noise. Yes, and the book that made Josh Harris a best-selling author was titled I Kiss Dating Goodbye. It was really popular, especially in, around evangelical circles. And it played a huge role in the purity movement around the world. So, but like Nate said, we'll hear from Josh in the next episode about his thoughts now. So let's hear from Carla. All right. So we're here on Touch Podcast with Carla Ewert, a Minneapolis-based writer, a very outstanding writer and speaker. She's the co-creator of She Is Called, a national conversation for women who lead. She also hosts She Is Called podcast and Holy Writ podcast. She's a regular panelist on the Christian Feminist podcast, and she writes regularly for Relevant Magazine. Uh, Carla, thank you for being on Touch Podcast. Thanks for having me, Ryan. It's really good to be here. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, and uh, you're a lovely writer. I love the stuff that gets posted um, with Relevant Magazine, and what caught our attention at Touch was your recent article that looks at uh, Joshua Harris, um, his recent TED talk, and sort of what's going on with him now. Um, He's been mentioned a couple times on our podcast, and I thought, ooh, we should try to talk to Carla. Tell us about your approach to this article and why you wrote it, and yeah, we're really curious about that. It's actually a pretty good story that will tie into a previous guest of yours a little bit. Um, I work, like you said, uh, with an organization called She Is Called. It's a a thing that was a brainchild of mine that then birthed into a bunch of women saying, oh yeah, let's do that together. And so we call ourselves co-creators and we um, do lots of things. We do events, we do our own podcasts, we have a blog and a website and we're working on a mentorship structure, lots of things like that. But Tina Shermer Sellers is a part of the co-creator group there. Um, Dr. Tina Shermer Sellers, who you had as a guest. Yes, yes. So she is that she does lots of work in purity culture and understands through research and through her work as a sex therapist the impact of it in a way that I say I would say few people understand it. She has a grasp of this thing that is um, extensive. And so she's um, been following Joshua Harris's uh, process as he's reconsidered some of this. And um, when the TED Talk came out, she sent an email to those of us in the, the She Is Called co-creator group and was like, y'all, 
watch this. I'm so troubled and I don't know what to say about it. I'm so troubled. And uh, so we, I watched it and I got right back to her and I said, I, I think I could write a response. I think I know what's troubling. And I said a little bit about it in my email. And um, I said, let, let me work on a, a response, an article. And um, and so I did that. I wrote that that article, the article that's unrelevant now. And um, the group read it and had, you know, was like, yes, please, let's post that. Let's do that. And so I submitted it to Relevant um, because they had posted his TED Talk um, on their site. So I submitted it as a response and then hadn't heard back from them for some time. And then uh, all of a sudden it was it was there. So um, that, but but the, the reason that I wrote it in the way that I did um, is, is I, I was trying to really understand with Tina, what is it that's troubling for us as women about this talk? And what is it that seems hurtful? And Tina has such a passion for those of us who have been impacted by purity culture. Her, her, her work in this field is so much about her passion for the pain that has been caused. And so right away, I was aware of the fact that her frustration with that TED Talk was about the fact that he didn't address the pain that had been caused. Um, that what he talked about in that TED Talk was, um, the way that his his shift in thinking might impact his platform and um so that that was sort of what started it um i don't know if that answers your question there's more to say there there's a lot more to say because i feel like uh the response has been really interesting in part because um lots of people have sorry ryan i feel like i'm sort of rambling and i'm not following your questions so no 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 i'm uh, no i was assuming that you need to explain a few things because right it, yeah people would I don't know that anyone has heard from him in a while. I don't know how many people are buying his, the book, the couple books that he, that came out some time ago now. Um, so yeah, so I think it's helpful to know sort of where that is, where that's coming from. Cause a lot of people will watch that Ted talk and on the surface feel like, Oh, well, like all of us, we've, you know, we've grown up and we've changed our ideas and sure it, it, it impacts our lives when we think differently theologically about different things. But I think what you were getting, what you're getting at in the article, what you and Tina, your conversation is about, is about, well, this is not just about you, dude. Right. <laughs> right. And, and really then, in, that's exactly it. And what's been interesting in the, in the listening, you know, reading and hearing some of the responses to the article, there, there is a lot of misunderstanding about like the, the, the point of the article was not Joshua Harris is a jerk and we should all hate him now and that he should never speak again. That's not at all what I meant to say. What I meant to say is we have a tendency to center the male voice without ever thinking about the fact that we're doing it. That's what I was trying to say. So Joshua Harris and his TED Talk are an example of a thing that is a pattern, in, especially in patriarchal Christian culture. Um, so, so it's not that Joshua Harris is, has, is um, the problem, and I said that in the article. He's not the problem. He's, he's an example of the problem. This moment, this moment of him taking a, the opportunity to have platform and then using that opportunity of platform to say, here's what, what you should know about me. <laughs> Here, here's why I, I'm important to this story um, was, was, was problematic for me. It felt very problematic. And um, it, it, it overlooked the fact that lots of people had been impacted and it recentered a male voice in a prime spot where you could have decentered that voice. Do you know what I'm saying? I do. And for our listeners, say more about what you mean by centering a male voice and, and having, having, and wishing for that to be decentered because some folks might not be following right. exactly. 
Totally. Um, so, so I think what, what we've done in, I think, especially patriarchal Christian culture, which is, is a high, when, when you think about patriarchy, patriarchy to me is a, is a hierarchy. It is a competitive, a competition based hierarchy. And at the top of that hierarchy in humanity is, is the male is the man. And, um, so what we've had a tendency to do is, to focus our attention on the top of the hierarchy and to say that the male gets to speak. The male has a right to platform and, the, and um, gets to be the thing around which we pivot. So I talk a little bit about in the article about male-centric identity as like men are the fulcrum on which all things pivot. And, and so female identity especially has no point or no purpose if the male's not in the center of it. And when you're when you believe in patriarchy, when you believe in a hierarchical system that puts the male on top, that feels like the way it's supposed to be. And many people have interpreted scripture as that's what scripture is saying, that, that the male is the head and the male is the top of a hierarchy. And that's where the attention should be. And um, what I think is problematic with that at this point is that we've seen that centering of power in the male cause abuse. Um, it has caused... Uh, I use the phrase in the in the article, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And and that's an old phrase that we've all heard a hundred times. And we've used we've used it often about an individual. When there's too much power centered in an individual, that has a tendency to corrupt that individual. And but when you use it here, what I mean is if you center power in the male and say that only men have voice, only men have the right to speak, very often that power will become corrupt and will be used to, for abuse. And I believe that's what has happened, especially in Christian culture. In a system where uh, the, all the authority lies with the men, being able to say this isn't right or this isn't appropriate or I don't know how to, I feel about this or the, have, being able to push back against that is, yeah. is, is can yeah. be little to check that power dynamic. Yeah, yeah. So there's, That's there's, what I'm trying to say. Yeah, there's no there's no one to say to say, hey, wait, that doesn't feel right, or that's not okay for me. And even if you have men who, I believe so many men who even believe in patriarchy and complementarianism are very good men. They're not out to abuse, that's not their intent. But there isn't ever that offsetting voice that says, this is the impact of that on me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and so until you allow for those voices all to rise, and I mean that intersectionally, like women's voices need to rise, uh, LGBTQ voices, uh, people of color, all of that, we need to find a way to have a polycentric voice because there, there is oppression and power dynamic in so many places that we forget to name it or see it. And the only person who can name it well, the only person who can name oppression well is the oppressed. The oppressor cannot name the oppression. So in, the, in, the, in this case, when you've got a hierarchy of male over female, the female is the oppressed. So she's the only one who can name that oppression. So when a man stands there and tries to tell her what, that, what, he, what he views her oppression to be, he, he will automatically misname it. So part of what I mean in the article is it's time here for, especially women who've been impacted by purity culture. And I love that you and Nate are doing this because you all are white men who have been, well, you're a white man, who's been who's been impacted by purity culture in a real way and you're working that out together. So I, I think that's fabulous um, and I love it. But I think um, in thinking about the way that, especially complementarianism and those types of doctrines have impacted women, women have to be the one to give shape to that with our words. Let's pause it right there for a moment, and when we come back after this break, Carla will talk about her experience with purity culture.
This episode is brought to you by Next Good Consulting. Next Good coaches individuals and organizations to create new futures in a creative consulting process that starts with one powerful question. If your life were a comedy, what would happen next? It's true. He really asked me this question, and that's, that's what unlocked me. This unique story framing helps generate new ideas, design imaginative alternatives, and craft a new storyline. Whether it's your life or a business idea that's stuck, you can learn to stop rehearsing that scripted drama in your head and start having fun in your own happy story. I should know because I did, I did those exact same steps and it, it really has changed the course of my life. Start a new page today with NextGood at www.rnextgood.com. Tell them you heard about them on Touch Podcast and get one free coaching session on me, on Nate. Because I took it, and it was amazing, and I want you all to experience it. At least just have a chance. Next good, gain a new sense of purpose by starting something good. All right, back to the show. So you mentioned your experience, or having an experience in purity culture. Can you say a little bit about what that was, what, what, what that was like? Sure, yeah. So I, I grew up in a um, very conservative evangelical church. My dad is a pastor. Um, it was a wonderful human um but but very much we were i grew up in the center of purity culture i um my understanding of you know evangelical culture is i think in the 80s and 90s it was a whole particular thing um with complementarianism making a new rise and purity culture kind of at the same time so it became really hyper gendered and um those of us who existed in it had a strong sense of gender and a strong sense of roles and all of those things. So my experience with purity culture was very much through youth group and those kinds of things where we talked, of course, often and regularly about abstinence and about virginity and about purity and all of those things and how important they were. Um, and I remember sitting through the rallies where you would um, see these illustrations like the tinfoil. Do you remember the tinfoil illustration? Was that one you got? I didn't get that one. Which one is that? Okay, so this is where they take a piece of tinfoil that's like a, a flat, smooth piece of tinfoil and they hold it up and say, do you see this tinfoil? And then they crush it, right, into a ball. And then they try to stretch it back uh, out. Well, you can't actually do with tinfoil. It will never be the same again. Uh -huh. um, and so it, um, and the point there was once you, you're sort of pure like this piece of tinfoil and straight, I always, I think it's hilarious that they had the straight thing in there. It just makes me laugh. Um, you know, that, and then once you've had sex, you can't ever go back to that state of pure and straight. And um, yeah, yeah, that's the 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 crushed flower um, yeah. metaphor, right? The image. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. No, right. So I had a real sense. I, I remember being just deeply afraid of like the ontological change that might happen to me if I had sex. Like it wasn't just I would have had an experience that I, you know it wasn't that it was like I thought there would be some deep spiritual ontological change that would take place in me that would make me um, somehow ruined or broken or monstrous or any put any word there and I just remember being terrified of it like just so afraid of what that one act could do to my personhood um, and I you know I I, my parents weren't as strict as some of the parents around me so I did date and I did make out and I did you know everything up to that point. Uh -huh. I, did, I did wait until marriage to have sex. And um, I just, I just found that that the threat of that, the shame in, involved in um, fear for my ontological well-being has impacted every area of my life. I think, I don't think it's had a minor impact. I think that it's impacted the way that I've learned to use my voice, the way that I've understood what it means to name, like I said before, my desires. I, I, 
I think that um, it's made desire a hard thing. Like I don't understand my own desire very often, whether it's sexual or otherwise, it's very hard for me to name. Um, and that I feel is really problematic. It separated me from myself in some very real way um, that I feel like I'm still solving regularly. Mm. So, and then I had, I had a um, story of abuse when I was very young. And so to have that in my back pocket or in the back of my brain as people were talking about sexual purity and knowing that mine had been taken from me on some level when I was five, um, I think caused a sense of shame in my body that um, was compounded. So I had the sense of what I might do and then the sense of what had happened to me and my shame was compounded. Um, so working through that has been a, a, a process, a continuing process that's still ongoing, I would say. Um, to gain some sense of myself as a being that has power and is lovable and whose desire uh, matters. I think that's what's so interesting about this though is that my, when Tina writes about it, she writes about mind-body-spirit alignment. Uh -huh. What we've tended to do is try to take those things apart and separate. Yeah. And so when you do something in body, if it's not aligned with the other pieces, you end up with a dissonance. and. Um, yeah so the idea that somehow what we've done is to relegate our sexuality as like a separate part of us that can be kept over here in the corner and dealt with in this behavioral kind of way rather than as an integrated part of our being um has caused a lot of pain i think so yeah yeah and, and the image of a of a woman housemaker i don't know it, a stereotypical image of a woman housemaker who doesn't have any needs or desires about anything. You know, her purpose is to make sure that the kids are fed and do their homework and the house is clean and this sort of leave it to beaver sort of um, image. Um, yeah, it's it's the way you frame that up. It's, it's, I think it'd be easy for people to understand, to see how, how that feeds into, um, into into our systems of abuse and and yeah yeah it's right because if you can right if you take that if you take that woman and you say she hasn't she doesn't have her own sense of being or purpose she is what is put into her in terms of purpose and being so she is for her husband's desire and uh, upkeep <laughs> and she mm -hmm. is for husband's desires and upkeep but she herself doesn't have a personhood or a humanity that has that takes up space, um, then you get to do to that woman anything you want. She is, she is for the sake of everyone else. And that's part of what I mean by male-centric um, or, or that sort of fulcrum identity of the male that assumes, if, if he assumes that that woman has nothing going on except what she can do or be for him, he will feel the right to abuse that person because there's nothing in there. <laughs> so uh -huh. it so takes away from intimacy too because intimacy only comes when two people know who they are and present that to one another honestly, right? Yeah. So as long as we're in this sort of male-centric thing, we won't get to have real intimacy either because the assumption is she's for my my purpose, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And there's not, um, neither is he known nor is she known to each other uh, or, or probably to anybody other, else. Um, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So, you know, on the, back to the article, that that's, yeah. the, that's the thing I like, I've had a couple people say to me, how would you feel if Joshua Harris read your article? 
and I've had, I've had mixed feelings about that because I, I, he, he is a person I have no, I've no, really, I don't have a beef with Joshua Harris as a, as a person. I'm sure that the work he's doing on the documentary and some other things, um, is it's going to be interesting and good work. I'm sure, I'm sure he's doing good work. So I, it's not that it's that we, as a, as a patriarchal Christian culture have, we keep doing this thing. We keep taking, you know, the 21 year old male voice and centering it. And then we do it again. And then we do it again. And then we do it again. And it's not serving us. And we're not learning that. And so that's what I was, I was really trying to say in that yeah. article. It's not that yeah. Josh Harris is a jerk and we should never listen to him again. That's not what I was saying. Yeah. What I was saying is let's, let's look at our pattern here and assume that it's not given and that we could do something different. Yeah, you know, and of course, so what I did in my imagination was, he's got all this stuff to say and they were like, no, you really, you only have 14 minutes or however many, 18 minutes. And um, yeah, all this stuff has to be cut, right? And he's cutting down, he's cutting down, he's cutting down, he's cutting down. And, um, and where yeah and then where is the is was there a decision about a paragraph josh if you're listening to this podcast right now we want to hear from you was there a decision about the paragraph where you said and i realize right that blah 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 you know what it whatever is he, he felt like he needed to say about the impact on other people's lives that could be enduring and participating in a, in a, a big machine that was had a huge impact on culture that a lot of people now regret. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree with you. And I, I, knowing a little bit now, a friend of mine has had a TEDx talk that's gone pretty viral. And so talking with her about the process of this, of coming down to the script mm -hmm. is actually pretty arduous for TED talks, for TEDx talks. And so, um, thinking about what he may have been through to get to the, the content of that TEDx talk is interesting, but you know, the content of that talk, um, and, and, you know, there could be a hundred different talks that he did on this topic that would all have a different angle, but even the title strong enough to be wrong. And then uh, that whole, all of, all of the things in that talk were very much about like, uh, a, a concern with patriarchal maleness in my opinion. Um, yeah. and I, I, I don't, Again, I'm sure that's not the only thing he's thinking. He could have taken so many angles and, and that was a choice he made in conjunction with the people who he was working with on that talk. Um, so it's also, he's not the only one culpable. You know, so many things. There's so many yeah. things to complexify this and I get that. Um, what I wanted to do with it in the article is say, this, this moment is just an example of a pattern. It mm -hmm. is not the only thing that's wrong. It is not a thing that we even need to point out and say that guy's a jerk. Don't do that, actually. Um, you know, but like, it's, it's, it's a pattern for us. So what if we just look at the pattern? Let me offer a heartfelt thanks to Carla Ewart for her honesty and vulnerability in this episode of Touch. If you've been following along with Touch Podcast from the beginning, first, thank you. And second, we hope that you're seeing how our sexual feelings and behavior are connected to how our parents talked about sex, how our church talked or didn't talk about sex, how both popular Christian and popular secular cultures treat the topic of sexuality, the religious language we use, the power dynamic between genders, and how we read and interpret sacred texts. If you felt like pausing the podcast to look up the word ontological, you're not alone. Let me offer you that ontological refers to the nature of being and is 
in Carla's case, she felt that her very essence or existence would be damaged by sex. This isn't a fear of consequence or of developing a different pattern of behavior, but it is a concern that the very substance of our being will be altered. Working to understand, overcome, and become truly whole is a lifelong pursuit, and I'm really grateful for Carla for coming on the show and reminding us of that. You can hear more from Carla Ewart at sheiscall.com. Learn more about that movement and how they empower Christian women. And in the next episode, best-selling Christian author Joshua Harris and filmmaker Jessica Vander Wingard will talk about growing up, the process of changing one's mind, and how to make a movie about it all. It's a terrific two-part conversation, and I know you're going to love it. Take us out, Nate. This is Nate. The opinions expressed on this podcast are solely the opinions of our guests who are speaking. Um, Our intention here is to create a safe space for all these thoughts so you guys have a whole rainbow of flavors and knowledge and wisdom to draw upon. Um, Also, please share this podcast with your friends. Connect with us online on touchpodcast.com and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter at touch underscore podcast. You hear that computer beep again? Because this is a podcast. Anyway, you can email us at info at touchpodcast.com or give us a call at 678-685-1010. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher. Yeah, that's how we roll. We just record these things and just blip, out they go.